Hello, everyone, and welcome to BibleQuest.tv, the Tuesday edition. Good to see uh, the panelists are on board, and I'll bring them in shortly, but I want to welcome everyone that's coming in, joining us today in our discussion. It's been two weeks. We didn't have uh, a program last week due to the schedules of everyone going all over the place, which we'll maybe just share about that in a minute. But um, glad you're able to come in. If you're coming in on the, the Zoom app, please use the um, chat or uh, Q&A button and enter your text there. I'm having a brain freeze, Stephen. I don't know what's going on. <laughs> and if you're coming in on the Facebook page, which I'm assuming Jonathan connected us with Scott's Facebook page, just use the comment box there. And we want to hear from you. We would like to have your questions, your comments about today's program, why we're going on with the program, or about anything. We can add it to the program or talk about it next time we get together. So with that said, Stephen, good to see you. How are you? I'm doing well, Drew. Welcome, everybody. Good to see you. Jonathan Sadler, how are you doing? And Jonathan, I don't know he, if he hears me he or frozen. he froze. So let's wait till he thaws out a little bit. Scott, how are you doing? <laughs> I'm doing fine. How are you doing today, Drew? Good. Now, you, you guys are in the same area and you didn't freeze. So I, so I guess it's something to do with his connection. It was a very local blizzard. Local freeze, yes, yes, a local freeze. And I'm like 15 miles north of him, so I don't know why he froze. Oh, yeah, right. If anything's going to be freeze, you're going to be freezing before him. All right, well, as soon as Jonathan unfreezes, we'll come back. And he's back. And it looks like he's back. Jonathan, are you back with us? Yeah, I'm back. Sorry good, about that. Good to have you. Welcome back. And so you guys were away for the whole um, last week, away at camp in Indiana, from what I understand. And I'm assuming it was a good a good week. Excellent. Yes. Good. Well, I'm glad you're back. I missed having the program last week. And I'm glad we're getting able to start. So, so let's see. Um, what are we talking about today, Mr. Program Director? Uh, we are talking about the flood. All right. So we'll be going to Genesis 6. We'll be working our way through. We're not going to take time to chase all the different rabbit trails like who are the sons of men. We won't get into that today. Um, but uh, How about what, what is Gopher Wood? We're going to get into that one? <laughs> uh, yes, yes. We will actually get into Gopher Wood. We will. Okay. Um, who else got into Gopher Wood? Noah. Noah and his family. There you go. Uh, and so we'll, we'll be reading through the text. We'll be talking about uh, a few external things. Um, Jonathan's going to mention to us a little bit about um, possible references in the Chinese language. I'm going to talk a little bit about uh, just tales from around the world about an ancient flood. Uh, Stephen is going to be showing us New Testament references to earlier events in Genesis, and especially we're going to be noting what Jesus said about Noah and the flood. And for a Christian, the bottom line, is, it, 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 it comes down to that. If you're a Christian, if you have reason to believe that Jesus is the Christ, then you have reason to believe what Jesus taught. And we'll see what he says about that. Uh, so let's begin with uh, the text, Genesis chapter 6. Um, I'll start reading, and when we stop and comment, somebody else can start reading, and we'll need to move kind of quickly because we've got a good bit to get through. When man began to multiply on the face of the land, and daughters were born to them, 
the sons of God saw the daughters of men were attracted. They took wives of any that they choose. The Lord said, my spirit shall not abide in man forever, for his flesh his days shall be 120 years. Nephilim were on the earth in those days, and also afterwards when the sons of God came into the daughters of man, and they bore children unto them. These were the mighty men who were bold, men of renown. And somebody read for us verse 5. The Lord saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth and that every intention of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. And the Lord regretted he had made man on earth and it grieved him to his heart. So the Lord said, I will blot out man whom I have created from the face of the land, man and animals and creeping things and birds of the heaven, for I'm sorry that I've made them. But Noah found favor in the eyes of the Lord. These are the generations of Noah. Noah was a righteous man, blameless in his generations. Noah walked with God. Noah had three sons, Shem, Ham, Japheth. Now the earth was corrupt in God's sight. The earth was filled with violence. And God saw the earth and behold, it was corrupt for all flesh had corrupted their way on the earth. Let's pause and see uh, if this reminds us what are some of the messages through the prophets, not about the whole earth, but about the nation of Israel or the nation of Judah when, when judgment is promised? God's going to come in and destroy them. I mean, they need to listen to the Lord and repent. Yes. Over and over, you'll see, uh, you know, the, the prophets, they present the, the accusation and the problem of the horrible wickedness in Israel or in Judah, and judgment is coming. This time, it will come in the flood. But not everyone will perish. Verse 13, God said to Noah, I have determined to make an end of all flesh, for the earth is filled with violence through them. Behold, I will destroy them with the earth. Make yourselves an ark of gopher wood. Make rooms in the ark covered inside and outside with pitch. All right, so here's our, our two questions on the type of wood. What type of wood is it made out of? Gopher. Gopher wood. Yes. What exactly is gopher wood? It's wood that gopher used. <laughs> <laughs> is a gopher the same thing as a woodchuck? How much wood could a woodchuck chuck? I don't know. Gophers are pretty close to that. Yeah, gophers are different. I could go for some wood. I yeah, mean. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, you know, gophers are smaller. Gopher wood, we don't know uh, what is. Uh, there, there's a footnote here. An unknown kind of tree translated from the Hebrew. So, in Hebrew, they called this that. We don't know what it is. And, and there's a number of things like that in the Bible. And we can know, here's what you know. And if you want to know more about that, that's oftentimes it. Um, certain stones that'll be mentioned in the Old Testament. King James translators uh, pointed this out in their translation. They didn't always know exactly what stone that was or exactly what bird that was. But whatever the case, it's a wood that uh, Noah would have known. And that's what it's to be built out of. Make rooms with the ark covered inside and outside with pitch. What would seem to be the point of the pitch? Like, like a mortar, so, so it won't sink. Right, right. All right, somebody pick up with verse 15, and let's start seeing the size of this. So 
verse 15, this is how you are to make it. The length of the ark, 300 cubits, and its breadth, five or 50 cubits, and its height, 30 cubits. And make a roof for the ark and finish it uh, to a cubit above and set the door of the ark at its side. Make it with a lower and second and third decks. For behold, I will bring a flood of waters upon the earth to destroy all flesh in which is the breath of life under heaven. Everything that is on earth shall die. Okay, so somebody translates this, a, a, a cubit was, if I remember correctly, was it from your elbow to your wrist or your elbow to your hand? I've always heard from the elbow to the end of your finger. Okay. I, I heard it was about 18 inches. Yeah. Now, it kind of depends a little bit upon you. My cubit would be longer than somebody else, than Bertina's cubit, but generally about 18 inches. So somebody translate the size of this arc for us. 450 feet long by 75 feet wide and 45 feet high. This is huge. Why is it going to need to be so big? I'm going to be putting a lot of animals. Yeah. Behold, I will bring flood waters upon the earth to destroy all flesh in which is the breath of life under the heaven. Everything that is on the earth shall die. But I will establish my covenant with you, and you shall come into the ark, you, your sons, your wife, your son's wives with you. And of every living thing of all flesh, you shall bring two of every sort into the ark and keep them alive with you. They shall be male and female. Of the birds, according to their kinds, of the animals, according to their kinds. Every creeping thing in the ground, according to its kind, two of every sort shall come in uh, to you to keep them alive. Also take up with you every sort of food that is eaten and stored up that shall serve as food for you and for them. And the last verse of chapter 6 is... Noah did this. He did all that God commanded him. All right, so before going to chapter 7, comments and discussion. Uh-oh. Chapter six. You, you broke up a little bit there, Scott. What was your question? Oh, before we go to chapter 7, any comments or discussion on 6? Uh, maybe I should be embarrassed by this, but I always thought that gopher wood was like the Hebrew word for gopher. But <laughs> like, it's, it's literally the transliteration of the, of the Hebrew it would be like G-O-F-E-R. Um, that was never explained to me until like just now. So like I was looking at my footnote. So it's spelled like the English word gopher. <laughs> so like, yeah. Um, we learned something. We learned something, learned something new every day, right? There you go. There you go. Now I will say some translations have cypress wood for what that's worth. We don't know what kind of wood it was, but some translations guess that it was cypress wood. So. And, and yeah, and that's a guess because the Hebrew word, is gopher and that's really i mean you don't have the book of lumber <laughs> where we have <laughs> and we can tell which wood is wood i and and notice at the end it said noah did as he commanded which reminds us of what book in hebrews uh, what verse in hebrews 11 about faith and what does it say about noah there my faith noah prepared an ark uh, an obedience uh, to for the salvation of his household. Now, here's another thing. Uh, it, it's mentioned in Peter that Noah was a preacher of righteousness, but we don't have a lot of details. But let's just try to imagine it for a minute. What if you are one of Noah's neighbors, and he's building this giant, giant boat? And there's no evidence that he's building it at a seaport. 
uh, what are you thinking? Well, it's also he's 500 years old. He's over 500. We don't know when he started it, but apparently he was 500 years old when he had his three sons, and now he's being told to build the ark. So, wow. those days that would be like a midlife crisis, right? I mean, <laughs> like people live to be like eight, nine hundred years old. So yeah. it's like, oh, he's only I, yeah. 500. Like, yeah, that'll try. That make him about 45, I guess. <laughs> some people buy a sports car. Some people build a huge boat. I mean, there you go. And if he told you, you know, judgment is coming. What would, and now his neighbors are wicked and their thoughts are on evil. What type of reaction can you imagine they would have had towards Noah's message? Uh, he's nuts. Yeah. Probably a similar type of reaction that you see later in Genesis. Uh, lots, either sons-in-laws or future-to-be sons-in-laws, when they're told that Sodom is going to be destroyed, they just assume it's a joke. Yeah. Yeah. So getting back now to chapter 7. Then the Lord said to Noah, go into the ark, you and your household, for I've seen that you are righteous before me in this generation. Take with you seven pairs of all clean animals, the male and his mate, and a pair of the animals that are not clean, the male and the female. Seven pairs of the birds of the heavens also, male and female, to keep their offspring alive on the face of the earth. For in seven days I will send rain on the earth, for 40 days and 40 nights, every living thing that I've made, I will blot out from the face of the ground. Noah did all that the Lord commanded him. Uh, let's talk about this as briefly. So if it's a clean animal, seven pairs. If it's unclean, two. Any comments on why you would do that? You gotta have some maybe food to eat. Yeah, uh, when he gets off the ark, he's going to offer an animal sacrifice, right? Mm -hmm. If he'd only had two, <laughs> that animal would immediately be extinct. Um, the clean would be used for eating and for sacrifice. And so uh, you have uh, seven pairs of those. And here's a couple questions. Kids will sometimes ask these questions. Well, I had one time an adult asked me this, how would you get a whale on the ark? Uh, you can't. So where would the whales have been? In the ocean, in the water. Yes, yes. I think we can understand here that it, the things that are on the ground are, are what's being destroyed. But how many of you have heard this question? If dinosaurs were still around, how could you have gotten a dinosaur on the ark? Well, that's easy. You get baby dinosaurs. Dinosaur eggs are about yay big. Scientists have found fossilized dinosaur eggs. Whatever hatches out of that is not going to be real big for some time. You know, so you don't have to take a full-grown Apatosaurus if they, if they were around at the time. All right. Any other comments on that before we move ahead? Let's go. Uh, Noah was 600 years old when the floodwaters came on the earth. Noah and his sons and his wife and his sons' wives uh, with him went into this ark to escape the waters of the flood. Clean animals, animals not clean, birds, everything that creeps on the ground, two and two, male and female, went into the ark with Noah as a commander. After seven days, the waters of the flood came on the earth. Somebody pick up our reading, please, in verse 11. 11. In the 600th year of Noah's life, in the second month, on the seventh day of the month, on that day, all the floods of the great deep burst forth and the windows of the heaven were opened. 
Where do you, you want me to go to? Also verse 12, please. And rain fell upon the earth 40 days and 40 nights. What important details do we see here? The water came from two locations. It didn't just come from the sky. It came down, it came up from the deep portions of the earth. It just burst up from the bottom and flooded from the top. Right. And the, the, the vast fountains of the deep burst forth and the windows of the heaven were opened. So it's not just the rain. It's, it's this happening as well. Somebody pick up and read, please, 13 through 16. On the very same day, Noah and his sons, Shem and Ham and Japheth, and Noah's wife and the three wives of his sons with them entered the ark. They and every beast according to its kind and all the livestock according to their kinds and every creeping thing that creeps on the earth according to its kind and every bird according to its kind and every winged creature. They went into the ark with Noah, two and two of all flesh in which was the breath of life. And those that entered, male and female of all flesh, went in as God had commanded him and the Lord shut him in. You know, Scott, you had mentioned about uh, probably they took small dinosaurs. I was, in my mind, every time uh, I read through this, I'm always thinking they're taking full-grown adult male and female animals. But they could have taken young ones, right? Yeah, and, and uh, the, the Lord uh, provided, you know, uh, in this situation, and he could have brought what, what he chose. Uh, I'm not there. I'm not checking the size of the elephants, but if, if, if you want to take a couple of smaller elephants instead of full grown elephants, that would, that'd be fine. Jonathan. Uh, yeah, there was a question on Facebook from Tammy, um, asking, did they eat animals before the flood? Um, and, uh, that's an interesting thing. I think we'd have to kind of make some inferences, but back in Genesis chapter one, when God is giving instructions to Adam, um, in Genesis 1, verse 29, he says, Behold, I have given you every plant-yielding seed that is on the face of the earth and every tree with seed and its fruit, and you shall have them for food. And then to every beast and everything that creeps on the earth, he gave the same thing. I've given every green plant uh, for food. But then, in, uh, as we're going to get to in Genesis chapter 9, uh, when God is speaking to Noah, he gives a similar type of message to Noah, although he also says, Everything that moves and lives shall be food for you. Uh, and as I yeah. gave you the green plants, I give you everything. So it seems like the, the menu gets increased after yeah. the flood. It does seem to be that way. And I don't know all the answers. I don't know all the questions, uh, much less all the answers. But it's interesting, especially, um, well, I'm not even going to go there. That's a sidetrack. Mm -hmm. I don't need to go down. I was going to talk about carnivorous animals. Well, since I mentioned all this. No, well, you know, use your strength. Stephen, it looked like you had a comment. No, I was just laughing at that. Uh, I was going to go to Genesis 9 as well. I mean, we do know that animals were created for man. I mean, God used animal skins to cover Adam and Eve from the beginning. Um, they're to have dominion over the birds and the animals and things like that. That's reversed in Genesis 3. It's an animal that deceives Eve. Eve gives Adam. Um, and so uh, I do think it's interesting to see the role of animals, but it is true that we don't see animals as food until Genesis 9. So that's, that's what we have to go on. That's what it looks like. Yeah. We do have the death of some animals early on. Uh, Adam and, after Adam and Eve dressed themselves with leaves, God dressed them with what? Animal skins. Yeah, mm -hmm. which necessarily involves the, the uh, 
room temperature assumption of that animal. And, and Abel, didn't he also offer an animal for sacrifice? Uh, yeah. Yes, he right. was a shepherd. Oh. And he offered uh, animal sacrifices. All right, let's continue. Uh, the flood continued 40 days on the earth. The waters increased and bore up the ark and rose high above the earth. I was trying to find this and I couldn't. Reason flood was on my mind. I don't know, there's some major flooding going on in China right now. And if anybody, I was trying to find it right before we went on. If anybody can find it, you know, easy way to pull it up. There's one little clip where you just see the water going by and a, a car just bobbing in it. If, if somebody wants to pull up something like that, just to see what water can do. Uh, the, the power of water is incredible. The flood continued 40 days on the earth. The waters increased and bore up the ark, and it rose high above the earth. The waters prevailed and increased greatly on the earth. The ark floated on the face of the waters. The waters prevailed so mightily on the earth that all the high mountains under the whole heaven were covered. The waters prevailed above the mountains, covering them 15 cubits deep, which would be like 45 feet. Um, and all the flesh died that moved on the earth. Birds, livestock, beasts, all swarming creatures that swarm on the earth, all mankind. Everything on the dry land in whose nostrils was the breath of life died. He blotted out, out every living thing that was on the face of the ground. Man, animals, creeping things, birds of heaven. They were blotted out from the earth. Only Noah was left and those who were with him in the ark. And the waters prevailed upon the earth 150 days. Is anybody able to come up with that clip? I have one here. I'm not sure if this is the one you want. All right. Let me let me share my screen. Yeah. Uh, let's see. China flood. That's got cars in it. I don't know if that's the one you were looking for. Yeah, the one I was thinking of was a video. It showed just rushing water. Oh, no, I, I didn't look for a video. Okay, let me stop share here. All right. Um, coming, oh, we've got something in the chat window. Oh, no, I, that's just a message here for us. Anything further before we continue with the text, guys? All right. I have lost Blue Letter Bible. No, there it is. All right, let's move on to the next chapter. And somebody start reading for us here, please, in chapter 8. But God remembered Noah and all the beasts and all the livestock that were with him in the ark. And God made a wind blow over the earth, and the waters subsided. The fountains of the deep and the windows of the heavens were closed. The rain from the heavens was restrained, and the waters receded from the earth continually. At the end of 150 days, the waters had abated. And in the seventh month, on the seventeenth day of the month, the ark came to rest on the mountains of Ararat. And the waters continued to abate until the tenth month. And then the tenth month, on the first day of the month, the tops of the mountains were seen. Uh, how far do you want me to go, Scott? Uh, keep going as long as you want. At the end of forty days, Noah opened the window of the ark that he had made and sent forth a raven. It went to and fro until the waters were dried up from the earth. Then he sent forth a dove from him to see if the waters had subsided from the face of the ground. But the dove found no place to set her foot, and she returned to him to the ark, for the waters were still on the face of the whole earth. So he put out his hand and took her and brought her into the ark with him. He waited another seven days, and again he sent forth the dove out of the ark. And the dove came back to him in the evening, and behold, in her mouth was a freshly plucked olive leaf. So Noah knew that the waters had subsided from the earth. 
Then he waited another seven days and sent forth the dove, and she did not return to him anymore. And the 601st year, in the first month, the first day of the month, the waters were dried off from the earth, and Noah removed the covering of the ark and looked, and behold, the face of the ground was dry. And the second month, on the 27th day of the month, the earth had dried out. Then God said to Noah, go out from the ark, you and your wife and your sons and your sons' wives with you. Bring out with you every living thing that is with you of all flesh, birds and animals and every creeping thing that creeps on the earth, that they may swarm on the earth and be fruitful and multiply on earth. So Noah went out and his sons and his wife and his sons' wives with him. Every beast, every creeping thing and every bird, everything that moves on the earth went out by families from the ark. And then we have, uh, at the end of eight, then Noah built an altar to the Lord, took some of every clean animal, some of every clean bird, and offered burnt offerings on the altar again here. This wouldn't have worked well if it had been only two of those. When the Lord smelled the pleasing aroma, the Lord said, It's hard. I will never again curse the ground because man, for the intention of man's heart is even from his youth. Neither will I ever strike down every living creature as I have done. While there is remain seed time and harvest cold, heat, summer, winter, day and night shall not cease. Uh, let's get just a little bit into the nine, then we'll start talking about some lessons to learn from this and some observations. I have some of that. I have a video that shows some of that rushing water. I don't know if oh, that's... Yeah, yeah, let's see that. Let me see if I can share it. Uh, uh, this will stop. Okay. I'm going to... Someone else was sharing the screen. I'm going to stop that one. I got it stopped. Okay. Let's go here. This is quite impressive. That's powerful water there. And the one I saw, it just it's just floating a car down it like bobbing like a bobber. And that's that's powerful to see, but you can be standing on dry land. Now imagine for 40 days that type of thing is happening all around yeah and it's getting higher and higher and higher and higher so let's not read into chapter nine we've already mentioned some of the things that it has there let's start talking about a lessons to learn from this b people's doubts about this because a lot of people think well they i don't believe there was a flood and the christian's view of that and we're, we'll have time to talk about some of those things that we mentioned before. But let's Scott, begin with lessons to learn from this. Go ahead. Scott, there is a question. Uh, somebody, Gerald, had his hand raised. So I'm going to see uh, if he had a question or some comment to I'll get in sure. here. Uh, you should be able to speak, Gerald, if you uh, have a mic. We have that allowed to talk now. And then maybe I guess you can go and make your point. Oh, there we go. Hi, good, good afternoon. Hello. Uh, can you hear me? Yes, go ahead. Yeah, I just basically touched the, the screen. That's why you, you saw me there. Um, oh. But I'm listening very carefully. Sorry oh. about that. I'm at work right now. Oh, that's no problem. Yeah, thanks, Joe. Yeah, good afternoon, Drew, and everybody else. Good afternoon. Thank you. But that, let me interrupt the you guys because we do want people to come in and give us the, their questions, their chat, you know, using the chat. But if you want to come in and audio, have a conversation using your microphone, please do. Uh, we'll bring you in and we talk about or you can explain or question whatever it is we're talking about. All right, go ahead. Continue, guys. So what, 
what's one of the most obvious lessons? And maybe somebody can take this a second, Peter, for one of the most obvious lessons about this. Well, it really clearly illustrates how God feels about sin, how he responds to sin and his judgment, um, which is one of the uh, big points that Peter makes in Second Peter chapter 3. <clears throat> Let me turn over there. Second Peter chapter 3, Peter refers back to the flood to make a point for something that's coming in the future. Uh, in uh, verse 5 uh, of Second Peter 3, he says, They deliberately overlooked this fact, that the heavens existed long ago, and the earth was formed out of water, and through the water by the word of God. And by, that by means of these, the world that existed was deluged with water and perished. But by the same word, the heavens and the earth that now exist are stored up for fire, being kept until the day of judgment, and the destruction of the ungodly. But do not overlook this one fact, beloved, that with the Lord one day is as a thousand years, and a thousand years is one day. The Lord is not slow to fulfill his promise, as some count slowness, but is patient toward you, not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. But the day of the Lord will come like a thief in the night, and then the heavens will pass away with a roar, and the heavenly bodies will be burned up and dissolved, and the earth and all the works that are done in them will be exposed. So. Um, well, I'll just let Peter make his point, finish making his point. In verse 11, he says, since all these things are thus to be dissolved, what sort of people ought you to be uh, in lives of holiness and godliness, waiting for the hastening of the coming of the day of God, because of which the heavens will be set on fire and dissolved and the heavenly bodies will melt as they burn. Um, so Peter draws the necessary conclusion that there was a time when the earth was evil and wicked and everything except for eight people um, and, and the animals were spared from the judgment of God. And he goes and talks about the character of God, how God doesn't wish that you would perish, but that you'll come to repentance. And there's a future judgment that's coming. The earth was destroyed once by water. It will be destroyed by fire and all of the ungodly along with it. Also, and just think about... To an extent... Just... Go ahead, Stephen. I also just think about God keeping his promises... Um, is that God promised to preserve Noah and his family. I like chapter eight, verse one, where it says, but God remembered Noah and all the beasts. And, you know, he's made this covenant with Noah and with the animals and God keeps his promises. And, and then he makes a promise at the end of the flood um, in uh, verse tw uh, eight twenty one. I will never again curse the ground because of man. I will never again strike down every living creature as I've done seed time and harvest summer and winter, these things are going to continue as long as the earth stands. And God is faithful to his promises. Uh, he preserves the righteous, even in the midst of a wicked generation. Uh, he wants people to be saved. Again, I, I've heard that they've tried to do some calculations. I don't know how you do this exactly, that it's possible that there was a lot of empty space on the ark, that if Noah, a preacher of righteousness, had succeeded in converting people in his generation, there was room for more than eight people on the ark, but nobody responded. And so uh, again, I'm not sure how you calculate all that out, but uh, God is faithful to those who will respond to him. And Noah's the only one, he and his family are the only ones who respond. And so they're the only ones who are saved. It's an interesting thought, Steve. I never, never considered that. I never thought of that. There would have been room for those who did repent. Interesting. Also just the problem of the purpose basicness of evil. So in Galatians 1, Paul refers to the world in his day as this present evil world. Would you say the world is also evil now? 
Yes. But there are times like, you remember, what would somebody sum up very briefly, because we've got several things to do and we're going to run out of time if we're not careful. Somebody sum up very briefly the conversation between God and Abraham about Sodom. Basically, Abraham's nephew Lot was living in Sodom, and God was on his way to destroy Sodom because it was a wicked city and everyone knew it. And uh, Abraham appeals to God a number of times saying, well, if there are only if you find 50 people that are righteous in the city, will you still destroy the righteous with the wicked? And God says, no, if there are 50 people, I'll spare the city. And then Abraham says, what about 40? What about 30? And gets down to what about 10? And God says, if there are 10 righteous people in the city, I will spare the city. And there weren't 10 righteous people in the city. Yeah. And if I can give an analogy, uh, if you're a homeowner, if you find a broken window in your house, do you burn down the house? No. No. If you find the, the heater or the air conditioner has gone out, do you bulldoze the house? <laughs> Hopefully not. No. Uh, if, if you find you've got a mice infestation, do you destroy the house? No. But do houses sometimes get to the point to where they are so thoroughly rotted, termite-eaten, infested, decayed, molded, it, it's it's ready for what? Nothing left to do. Take it down. Utter destruction. All right. Now, uh, a lot of people would mock the idea of believing in the flood. Uh, and the bottom line, let's begin with bottom line. Uh, if somebody says, what's your reason for believing in the flood? What would your bottom line be? Well, the first one would be, if Jesus talked about it, I'd believe it happened because Jesus is the son of God and he wouldn't have made it up. And he rose from the dead. You have reasons to believe that he is the Messiah. And so somebody take us there. Stephen, you've got, uh, along with that, uh, a list of some other things. You want to hit that for us real quick? Yeah, I'd be happy to do that. Uh, so in there are several things that Jesus refers to in those first chapters of Genesis and the the flood is one of them. It's in Matthew chapter 24 and verse 37, in which he's talking about the destruction uh, of uh, Jerusalem and some other judgments that will come after that. Um, and in Matthew 24, 37, he says specifically, for just like the days of Noah were, so the coming of the Son of Man will be. For in those days before the flood, they were eating and drinking, marrying and giving in marriage until the day when Noah entered the ark. And they were unaware until the flood came and swept them all away. So will be the coming of the Son of Man. And so he likens uh, his own coming in judgment to the days of Noah and clearly refers to this as a, as a historical event. As assuredly sure, as, as this historical event happened, there's going to be another historical event happen that is a real judgment from the Lord. And so if one is real, so is the other. This is the way Jesus treats these events. And while, while we're on this, I think it's just notable that uh, Jesus refers to creation of Adam and Eve, God making them male and female, quotes from Genesis 2. Uh, he does that in Matthew 19, 4 through 6, Mark 10, verses 6 through 9. Um, he refers to Moses writing uh, the early parts of the Hebrew scriptures in John 5, verses 46 and 47. Um, he refers to the blood of Abel. In Matthew 23, verse 35, um, and he refers to uh, Satan 
being the father of lies and kind of going back to the this Genesis 3 story in John 8 and verse 44. Right. So Jesus uses the Genesis stories in that first part of Genesis, including Noah and the flood, to make his points and refers to them not as like, a, oh, well, these are nice stories, but no, like, this is the basis for marriage and divorce. This is the basis for God's judgment now. In fact, the judgment coming on Jerusalem in his generation was because of the righteous blood of Abel, all the way back from Abel to Zechariah. Yeah. Those weren't historical events. What's the big deal? Right. And so this is, uh, Jesus refers to these as, historic, as history. So let's take a look, talk about the difference between uh, the biblical accounts and myths and legends and such. Because by the way, Hebrews did have myths and legends, not in the Bible. I'm not sure the date of all these. These are very, very, very old. But for instance, here's a Hebrew myth and legend about the flood. There is an ancient uh, uh, Hebrew myth, legend, that King Og survived the flood. Hmm. How did he survive the flood? When Noah built the ark, he couldn't fit a unicorn on it because a unicorn one day old was as big as Mount Tabor. So he couldn't get it inside the ark. So he tied the unicorn's horn to the ark and the, the, the flood happened. And King Og, whose teeth were so big that Abraham used one of his teeth for a couch and his footsteps were, was it a mile or 40 miles long? I forget, however. He jumps on the back of the unicorn and rides out the flood. Now, that's a myth. That's a legend. It has no basis in fact. It's not in scripture, and you don't see Jesus saying, like King Og in the unicorn. But Jesus does refer to Noah in the flood. Now, that brings up the issue of, of legends. Sometimes legends have truth behind them. Sometimes they have no truth behind them. Uh, sometimes they're a reflection of something that really happened. Uh, and so I don't know your thoughts on the Loch Ness Monster. I don't know that anything's up there. Uh, but there's three potential things. One, it could all be legend in, in spooky stories. Two, it could be that somebody did some fraud in the water to fool some people. Three, could there have been within the last years a large aquatic animal in the depths of that water that scientists had not seen and perhaps a species they're not familiar with? It's possible. Uh, if the latter were the case, that, but like the more stories you've got of something, the more likelihood in some cases that there's something to it. So I'm gonna pull up here uh, just a little bit on this. If I can find it, oh, I can't find it. So I'm gonna be looking for this. It's about, there's legends all over the world about a great flood and many of them uh, involve somebody building an ark. Some of them have animals being put on the ark uh, to survive the flood and that type of thing. Uh, of cultures, many, many cultures and you know, on different parts of the world have, have uh, huge flood stories. I'll pull that up in a second, but Jonathan, why don't you pull up what you've got while I try to find where I've lost. Yeah, so um, this is uh, really in-depth uh, types of things um, that I haven't done a whole lot of research on, but I have these two specific words. Um, the kanji language 
um, dates, it's one of the earliest, if not the earliest recorded written language um, back to like 2500 BC or somewhere around there uh, is when they were writing. And how the language works is it they, they use what they call radicals, which are kind of a version of pictographs in a way that this symbol represents a word and they'll combine different symbols to make new words. And in some of their character building and radical creations, it's really interesting to see um, maybe some of the connections that could be connections back to early history. Um, if we continue in the biblical story after the flood, there are eight people on the earth. Everyone that lives on the earth from then on comes from those eight people. So they would have a common ancestry back to these events and these stories. So with the word boat, this is the kanji word for boat. If you break that word down, uh, into its different radicals. There's the vessel there right here on this left side uh, is vessel and you add vessel with eight, which is the symbol up here. Uh, and you add that with mouth, which is also a way to refer to people, people's mouths and that kind of thing um, down here, then you get boat. So it's a combination of the words vessel, eight and people. Um, well, in the biblical story of the flood where they get on a boat, there are eight people on the boat, Noah and his wife, his three sons, and their three wives, so eight people total. Uh, and then there's also just this other one. Uh, to get the, the word total, this will uh, be used in the word flood, but in order to use their word total, their hands joined together or people together on the earth, so you have the people together um, on the earth, this line, uh, and eight people. Um, which kind of represents after the flood, there are eight total people joined together on the earth. But when you take the word total or all together, um, that's actually used in the word flood. It's a combination of the word total and the symbol for water, um, which is interesting. Again, again, I don't know, is, is that coincidence? There are various other different things within the kanji language, but it's just really curious to see and would make sense if the ancient Chinese people had ancestry dating back to eight people who survived this worldwide catastrophic flood, it would make sense that they had their words put together from these different types of things. Yes, and let's remember that after the flood, you have the Tower of Babel at which people are dispersed, which would have everybody, you know, uh, Native Americans, uh, uh, people in Asia, people in Russia, people in Africa, everybody would have been having dispersed from here. Which, by the way, slight pet peeve. Um, when we're presenting drawings for our children's classes, I'd like to recommend don't do two things. One, don't make Jesus a long-haired European-looking person. First off, the New Testament says it's a shame for man to have long hair. Don't follow those Catholic drawings of Jesus. He would have looked Semitic. Um, I, when I'm doing drawings for kids, I purposely leave it mostly just stick figures because I'm not wanting to ingrain an idea in there. I just have it rather unambiguous. But also, don't use pictures that show Adam and Eve being white Caucasians. If everybody descended from Adam and Eve and everybody descended from Noah and his family, which could have included a lot of uh, different variation, um, it could be problematic. All right, we're about to run out of time. Real quick, let me see if I can get this in right here. I'll do it real quick. We, we might go like one or two minutes over time. Uh, this is, I picked PBS uh, because it's PBS, nobody, it, it's, 
This is from a series, something about faith, or it's titled under that. Uh, but I, I didn't want to go to a creation website, and so I'm just using this one. Um, so it talks about a lot of cultures have an angry god or deity, a catastrophic event, water event that destroys the world, survived by a few. Um, in ancient Mesopotamia, the, in the Babylonian uh, Gilgamesh epic about Utnapishtim, there's some gods, a group of gods, that decide to destroy the world. One of the gods wants to save Utnapishtim, so he speaks near a hut in a way that Utnapishtim can hear him, and he's warned, and he builds a boat, and I believe he put animals on the boat, if I recall correctly, and they survived. Yeah, Utnapishtim brought all of his relatives and all species of creatures, and they get on the ark, and they survive it. Very similar to the, to the uh, Noah account in Hebrew. I believe there's also some sending out of birds. Some differences are the gods that sent the flood, when it happens, they're all scared to death of it. They're hiding behind the clouds. Uh, and when the sacrifice is made, they're like, ooh, kind of like people at a barbecue. It's not just pleasing. They're like uh, kind of a very carnal uh, love of it. Um, let's drop down here to the Greeks. Zeus. Um, king of the gods was displeased with human population and so he told one of these guys to construct an ark for himself and his wife and after only nine days of flooding the world was destroyed and the ark rested on top of a mountain and then later there is a sacrifice uh, Hindu uh, you've got um, the first man uh, let's skip that one. That kind of gets into some fish. Uh, I don't, we're running out of time real quick. Here's a Buddhist story, not about the whole world, but an island. And these people are destroyed, but they manage, if I remember correctly, to build something to float away on. Uh, China, we're running out of time here. Uh, there's some very interesting Native American stories. And in them, uh, I'll just sum up. Uh, uh, there is a great flood, and the one higher and higher, the one I'm about to tell, maybe Choctaw, I don't remember, but it's getting higher and higher. He climbs a tree, it's getting higher and higher. Eventually, he sends some animals uh, that are with him to go down and check for the depth, and most of them drown. But in one version of it, it's a muskrat, maybe another one, it's a coon, goes down, brings back a little bit of earth, and he starts making a new earth. And he adds to it and he makes a new earth. And when he thinks he's got it big enough, he sends out a fox. And after it goes all the way around it, by the time it gets back, it's an elderly fox hmm. to make sure he sends out a wolf. After it goes all the way around it, it comes back an elderly wolf. And now he's satisfied that there's, you know, a new earth that they can now survive on and stuff. So it's an interesting variation because what does that remind you of? in a convoluted way. What did Noah send out? Oh, the dove. The raven and the dove. Yeah, yeah. sent out one and then sent out another, checking and that type of thing. Uh, but you've got repeated things of, of course, floods happen from time to time. But often this thing about getting to a high spot, which is natural during a flood, and then build, maybe building a boat, saving the animals, uh, and, and some of them sending out animals, all those type of things. And there's two ways you can look at that. The unbeliever can say, 
oh, look, this story of the flood is like the story of the flood in a bunch of old cultures. There's another way to look at that. Why do they all have, all these different cultures have a similar story? Yes. If, as Jesus said, Noah, you know, built the ark back in the time of the flood and everybody descended from Noah, then as they went away from there, you're going to remember great-great-grandpa having talked about what? A flood. Yes. And over time, are those stories going to get kind of mutated and exaggerated and served? Well, the difference with Noah's the story that Noah that was written by Moses and Moses was inspired by go. God to write the, the accuracy of it. All right. Thank well, you very we, much. we are out of time. Um, so I think just, just summarizing um, with the story of the flood or really anything in, in early history, uh, mainly Genesis chapters one through 11, um, the main reason why we believe those and, and see the, the historical accuracy of those is because the Son of God, Jesus, referenced those, uh, talked about them as they were history. But there are a lot of other various different things that you can look at to see the history. And if anybody would want to talk about more of those, uh, the other different uh, myths or legends or the kanji language or anything else, you can reach out to one of us and we'd be happy to go over that with you all. Or if you have any other Bible questions, um, you can submit those to us at BibleQuest.tv. Um, Scott, go ahead. I have one point I forgot to mention. Let me just get it in here, Thirty less than 30 seconds. Sometimes people think, where did the water go? I would suggest it's still here. Pick up a globe and look at it from the South Pacific angle. Pretty much all you can see is water. Uh, it takes up about 70% of the Earth's surface. And I believe there's a psalm. Steve, do you remember which psalm uh, maybe sounds like it at least could be interpreted within the idea that the mountains were pushed up and the deeps pushed down or something like that. And I mean, yeah, well, even in mountains, you can see the curvature down at, uh, down in Maryland, you see the pushing up of the pressure. Uh, now people could argue whether or not that happened at the time of the flood or not. Uh, but um, the, the, the world before the flood doesn't have to be the same as after the flood. We could have had more like this before the flood and more like this after. Thank you. Yep. So thank you all for tuning in. And if you have any questions, you can submit those and we would be happy to talk about them or answer them. Uh, and we can start doing that next week, Tuesday, Lord willing. So we'll see you all then.